Good morning to you today. We're excited that you're here to worship with us and to open up the Word of God and study it today as God leads us and directs us as a church, as believers, and uh, to lift up our nation and uh, pray for our church members and our families and friends and the world that they might come to see and know Jesus Christ and walk with him. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is right after the Gospel of John. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, literally, I think it's called the practice of the Apostles, meaning what they did and how they did it after uh, Jesus uh, had died on the cross and was risen from the grave and ascended into heaven. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11 of chapter 1 of the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. You follow along. There's a pew Bible there. If you didn't bring your Bible, I hope that you'll bring your Bible to church and to study it with us together. Luke writes in the very beginning of the book of Acts, like he did at the very beginning of the gospel of Luke, uh, to his friend Theophilus, because he's trying to tell Theophilus what exactly happened and what this Jesus was all about. So this is what he says. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, that's by the way his gospel, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of, of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, this is the apostles coming together with Jesus. They asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? But Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of to the end of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, but suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. These two men said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. And may God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come together as a body of believers, as Christians gathered together in worship 
to join our hearts not only in praising you, not only in singing our worship songs, not only in studying the word of God, but also in praying to you and agreeing, Lord, to seek your will, to seek your timing, to seek the way you would have us to walk. And we ask, Lord, as we come together, first of all, that you might guide our church members, those who are here and those who are unable to be with us today, to be faithful servants walking and trusting Jesus and being faithful witnesses to the world around us. We know, Father, that the world desperately needs this witness, and we know that you have called us, even as we see here in the scripture that we read this morning, to be faithful witnesses, to be strong in the Lord, and to be faithful in sharing the gospel that we serve a risen Savior. But we also come to pray for our friends and neighbors and the ones that we know that we meet who do not know Christ Jesus as Lord, that you might give us the ability to witness to them, to be witnesses and to share the gospel with them, that they too might come to know our Savior. We also pray this morning together as a body of believers that you will help our world today and guide our missionaries and those who go forth to tell the gospel to the entire world that Jesus might be lifted up and they might look to him for their faith and salvation and for their hope. We pray for our nation and the struggles that our nation is facing both with the COVID virus and also with the unrest. And we lift up our leaders, that our leaders might turn their eyes to you and look to Jesus and seek to follow him and guide our nation in a way that honors God, that puts God back upon the sovereign throne of the universe and seeks to follow his will and his desire and his wishes for how we live and how we govern and how we serve each other. We pray, Father, for our services this morning, that this will be a very special time that the Holy Spirit is able to speak to us because we yield our hearts to him and we seek to serve Jesus Christ and to understand that we do not serve <clears throat> a dead Savior, but a risen Savior. And we give our hearts to him that we might be used by him to be witnesses. These things we pray in Jesus' powerful and holy name. Amen. Amen. You know, the symbol of the Christian church is the cross. We have one here on the front of the pulpit area and one behind me up there. And it's just a bare cross. And you stop and you think about it, you might kind of notice that there are some churches that don't just have a bare cross. They have what we call a crucifix. That is, they have a representation of a man hanging on the cross with a crown of thorns usually and with nails through his hands and through his feet. Once my, one of my children said, Dad, how come we, we don't have that kind of cross in our, in our church? And I said, well, it's in our, you know, we don't use those in our home. People don't have jewelry with the crucifix on it. And I said, well, it's kind of simple. It's because we don't serve a dead man on a cross. We serve a risen Savior who has ascended into heaven. What happened in that kind of idea is that we can get fixated in a way on Jesus on the cross 
Um, and there's nothing wrong with thinking about him on the cross. He suffered and he died on the cross for our sins. But what we sometimes forget is that the story didn't end there. It didn't end with Jesus being put in the tomb. In fact, it didn't end with Jesus being raised from the dead in the tomb. It still continued because Jesus showed himself and revealed himself to many people many times. And you know what he did? He also taught them what I call the post-resurrection instructions. Jesus was with his disciples all the time he was alive. And then when he died on the cross, he didn't just poof, go away. He actually began to teach the disciples about how to live after the resurrection. He was talking with them about living while he was alive. Now he's talking about living with the apostles, living with Jesus after the resurrection and after Jesus ascends up into heaven. And Christians then look at the cross to remind us of its value and its purpose in Jesus dying on the cross, but the story didn't end there, so there's no one hanging on the cross. Jesus is alive, and Jesus was risen from the dead, and Jesus ascended into heaven, and the great promise is, for the believer, is that he's coming back. When we observe the Lord's Supper, Jesus said, I won't drink as Jesus gave the Lord's Supper. I won't drink of this cup until I drink it with you again in heaven. And he's speaking about him coming again. We think of the second coming as an important time when Jesus is going to establish his kingdom on the earth. But for the apostles, they weren't sure of what was going on. They didn't really realize the importance of it, except all of a sudden they didn't have a dead man talking to them. They had a risen Savior. And that risen Savior wanted to tell them at least two important truths that they needed to live their lives by. Those important truths, the two of them, are here in this passage. And they're brought together in one of the last experiences the apostles have with Jesus as he ascended into heaven. One of those, of course, is the Great Commission, and the second is the promise of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And those two things are part of the great promises, of the two great promises that God gave to us after he received Jesus and raised him from the dead. The one thing is that we're giving power to live by and the second thing is that we're given a hope to long for and to look for. And those are two important things that the church needs to accept and needs to, I would say, buy into or tie into or connect with. To have a vibrant and an alive faith, these are two important things to remember. And I hope as a result of this particular Bible study here in Acts chapter one for these 11 verses, whenever you now look at a cross and you see that it's just a cross, it will remind you not only of the death of Jesus, but also of the promise of the Holy Spirit and the hope and promise of his second coming. And it will become more than just a symbol of our church 
but a very powerful reminder of our faith and what God has called us to do and be here together. Now, I'm going to share here that this text is basically for Luke to recount the last instructions of Jesus, of the risen Christ, um, to the disciples and to give really an explanation for what's going to happen but when he ascends into heaven. But it's also to describe the instructions that God or that Jesus gave to the disciples as he was arisen uh, and that those same instructions impact our lives today. In fact, they need to be part of a growing church. A church really can't be vibrant, growing deep and maturing unless they understand these two principles and the depth and the meaning of them for our everyday life. So I also wanted to try and share a little bit about this. Now, Luke has a purpose and a structure in these first 11 verses that are helpful for us to understand what what he's talking about. He finished up his gospel with the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the things that Jesus said to the disciples. And now he's going to open up the Acts of the Apostles, the second volume, if you will, or what he calls the second narrative, with the ascension of Jesus into heaven. But he wants to make sure that we get the point of what took place just prior to that ascension. So in the very first three verses, what Luke does is to recount the past. In other words, it's like beginning to watch a movie and you say previously, or you're going to watch a new episode of a, of, a, of, of a sitcom or something, and it'll say previously this happened, and now you get ready for what's going to take place today. So this is what Luke said. He said, I wrote the first narrative to tell you about all these awesome events that took place. I wanted you to know what Jesus did Uh, you know, in his ministry, his coming, and what he taught until the day that he was taken up, which is the ascension. Until he ascended into heaven, God took him to be with him in, in heaven. He ascended. He also said he wanted to talk about the commandments or the instructions that Jesus had given to the apostles. And to the believers, particularly the apostles that he had chosen. He wanted them in verse 3 to remember that Jesus suffered on the cross. But that he was also the resurrected Savior because he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs. I mean, it just wasn't one or two people who said, I saw him. There were a lot of people. He appeared to many people over a period of 40 days and he began to speak about the things of God, particularly the kingdom of God. In other words, there was a good body of post-resurrection teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples. This was very important because Luke wanted to be able to share with Theophilus the, the point of what Jesus expected his disciples to do until he got back. Now, you may have had the experience of working for somebody 
And they taught you what to do and they told you what to do. And they said, no, I'm going to go away for a while. I got something else to do. So I'm coming back and I'll check on you when I come back. Maybe you were working and you got things right or you found a problem or something. But you remembered the instructions that your boss or your loved one or someone told you while they were away. And then you were anticipating that they would come back. And so you continued to do the work. Well, that's what Jesus is doing. He's teaching the apostles all about the kingdom of God, all about what God wanted them to do. And he gave them the instructions. And then he said, guess what? I'm going to be back. So get to work. Let's get going. And the, uh, Luke tries to tell Theophilus all of these things about what Jesus was doing. And then in verses four and five, Luke recounts something very important that Jesus had said. And this is that first thing that we talked about, the coming of power, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Well, he was with them, it says in verse four, here's the plan that Jesus was giving them. He said, I don't want you to take a vacation. I don't want you to go anywhere. I want you to stay right here, safe at home in Jerusalem and hunker down and just be here and to wait for the father's promise. The promise, Jesus said, that I had already talked to you about, talked to you about, I'd already shared with you what this was because I told you about John's baptism, which was with water and Jesus himself had been baptized and many of the apostles had gone through the baptism of John. He said, but I want you to wait here because you will be baptized in a few days, not many days from now, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit. This was a very important promise that Jesus had made. He talked about the one who had come, would come, the advocate, the paraclete, the counselor who would come after Jesus left to be with them. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament days fell on some people and then left people. It fell on a few people and stayed like David and Moses. But the promise of God and the plan of God was to empower the church with the presence of himself through the Holy Spirit. Paul said in some of his writings that the Holy Spirit was the earnest money. You know, you want to go out and buy a car, or you want to buy a house, you got to fork over some earnest money. Well, the Holy Spirit is God saying, here's your earnest money, here's your proof, here's your, the point where I am going to provide everything that I, prov, uh, I gave, promised you and gave you, and the Holy Spirit is showing that I mean business, that I'm going to carry it through, that I'm going to do it, and you're going to get the Holy Spirit to prove it. The disciples didn't have the Holy Spirit yet, but they were going to get the Holy Spirit and be able to have the very presence of God in the Trinity with them as they walked. Jesus said in the Great Commission in Matthew that I'm going to be with you always through the ages. 
And the Holy Spirit's promise is part of that, that he is going to give us his very presence. So he said, just wait, just hang tight, hang in there, and I'm going to come and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. God is going to give you the Holy Spirit. But you know, the disciples were kind of antsy and they wanted a couple questions answered. So in the next couple of verses, six and seven, they decided to push one of the ideas that they had or question Jesus about the kingdom of God. So some of them, we don't know who exactly, Luke doesn't tell us which ones he's talking about, but in verse six, they said, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? Now, what was this all about? Well, many of the Jewish people felt that the Messiah would be a human Messiah, a physical Messiah, and he would come and drive out the Romans and establish another kingdom of Israel with, with the Messiah as David's descendant on the throne. And many of the disciples had kind of signed up for this journey because they felt that's what the Messiah was supposed to do. Jesus' disciples thought he was the Messiah, but he was going to go into Jerusalem and get rid of all of the false teachers in the temple and all of the Romans and reestablish a monarchy, a kingdom. And this is what they were asking. Are you going to go and ride on a white horse and go down to Jerusalem or, and throw everybody out and establish the kingdom of God? Because they thought of the kingdom of God as a, a physical kind of kingdom. And Jesus is saying, no, um, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And it's not for us to know. The second coming of Jesus will establish a physical kingdom of, of Jesus. But he says in verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. God knows what we're going to do. But here, the important thing is what you're going to do in the meantime. If you're waiting for the kingdom, okay, I'm not going to do that at this moment. But what do you do while we're waiting? And what he says is he talks about the power of God in verse 8. This is a very important verse. So important that we're actually going to talk about it specifically next Sunday. So I'm just going to highlight one or two points here to give us the understanding of what Luke is saying to Theophilus and what he's saying to us. And then we're going to go into more detail about this verse, because this verse, verse eight, is recognized by most all scholars, not only as the basic thesis of the book of Acts, it provides the whole idea of what the book is about, but it also provides the structure to the book. So Luke is going to recall how these things took place because God, through Jesus, said this is what's going to happen, and lo and behold, it did, and that's what the book of Acts talks about. But we're going to talk a lot more in detail about this. Right now, I simply want to show you that what Jesus is saying is that when I died on the cross and when God raised me on the third day and I ascended into heaven, you're not going to be left alone. Not only are you not going to be left alone, God is going to enable you or empower you to do exactly what he wishes you to do. 
And the church needs to recognize this when we look at the cross. Jesus is not on the cross. He ascended into heaven. But in the meantime, what has God done? God has given us a plan and the power to do that plan, to accomplish the plan. The power, he said, is you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come on you. So it's the coming of the Holy Spirit. When you come to know Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, I believe that you come to receive the Holy Spirit in your life. And the Holy Spirit in your life is God's power to accomplish what he wants you to be and do. It's not your own power, it's God's power. And God gives us that power through the Holy Spirit. What's interesting is that this word power is the same Greek word that we get our English word dynamite from dynamis. So it's like God's giving us dynamite. Dynamite's pretty powerful. You know, it's, it's, it's important stuff. You don't mess around with it. God's giving us the wherewithal to accomplish his will. And we need to recognize that. He didn't just say, okay, now go along and do the best you can. He said, go along and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to give you the power, the power of the Holy Spirit to live your life. And that's the important thing that he wants us to remember, that he didn't leave us, leave us hopeless or helpless. He left us with the Holy Spirit, and that's the power. The Holy Spirit is supposed to guide us to do things and, and to be witnesses. He wants us to be witnesses, and we're going to talk more about this in detail. But the point I wanted to recognize, or what you, for you to recognize, I want to share with you, is that after the cross, that's not it. That's not all. It doesn't end there. What happens is that when we become believers, we begin to serve. And God gives us the ability to serve, to be witnesses. So God has given us a plan. We tend to call that plan the Great Commission. And this is the Great Commission here in the book of Acts in verse, 18, verse 8. But you will, receive, you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Those are our marching orders. We're going to talk more about that next Sunday. But then, uh, after he said this, which reminds us that this is his very last instructions and words to his disciple, they, he ascended into heaven. And as he was ascending into heaven, um, he was going up and he was, a cloud took him out of their sight and they were looking up into heaven. They were stargazing, if you will, gazing up into heaven. And the disciples uh, all of a sudden had two individuals. It says two men in white clothes. We'd call them messengers or angels um, suddenly uh, stood by them. They weren't up in the cloud or in heaven, but they were standing by them. And they were messengers from God. And they said, why are you stargazing? Why are you looking into heaven? Sometimes there are Christians so, that are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good, you know. And they're, they're saying, what are you doing, you know? Why are you standing there? And you need to recognize that this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you've seen him going into heaven. This is the promise of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Remember, the promise of the Holy Spirit is here, the promise of power, and the promise of the second coming. So what happens here is all of a sudden, 
Luke ends and the disciples stops telling this little story. Luke ends and the disciples go back into Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives and they do what they're supposed to do. They, they started praying and they, they were talking and they were doing some things. But the point was, is that this is the post-resurrection instruction. And the post-resurrection instruction says two things. And we don't want to lose sight of those two things as we summarize this. One, that Jesus, though he ascended into heaven, didn't leave us uh, without help. He gave us a helper, an advocate, the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, there are individuals who say that's when the church starts. But really, that's when the power of God starts for us as believers to be believers. That we can trust the fact that God gives us the ability and the wherewithal, not because of ourselves or not because of our own power, but because of his power. And it's the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives that makes the difference. And secondly, the promise comes to us that he's coming back. The promise is that he will gather us to himself. If we're alive, we'll go to meet him in the air. As Paul said, those who are asleep will be asleep in Jesus and will be raised up to meet him and that we will be with him for eternity in God's kingdom. And that's a tremendous promise. The power and the promise. That's what Luke is trying to say. And the rest of this book, the book of the Acts of the Apostles, is going to be about the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish God's will. Now, the book of Acts ends abruptly in um, chapter 28. It just stops. And I think that's because it really doesn't have an ending. I had a friend who wrote a book in, and he actually wrote a little book about the conclusion of the book of Acts. In other words, he took it further and further and further along uh, and talked about the early Christians and their faith and so on. And there's also a network of churches called the Acts 29 network. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but there is no Acts 29. Acts 28 ends. But the idea of Acts 29 is the fact that we go on, that churches are planted, that people become Christians, that we're witnessing, and individuals receive Christ, and we baptize them, and we continue to do the work that the Lord has called us to do. That's what the book of Acts is all about. It's the kickoff, it's the start to remind us of two important things. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit to accomplish the Great Commission. He gave us the power to do this. And secondly, the promise that he's coming again. Now, this is what we could do. Like the people at Thessalonica, Paul talked about them. They all got dressed up in white linen and went out on the side of the hill and waited for Jesus to return. They, they were really so earth, heavenly minded that they weren't doing much to be witnesses. Jesus didn't tell us to go off and get in little enclaves and just sit there and look and wait. He is coming back. That's a promise. That's a hope that's in our heart. But his instructions were to be his witnesses. 
as the other part of the Great Commission says, to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them and to teach them all things that Jesus had commanded us. So the church's purpose and the church's role as we look to the cross is to realize that we have a risen Savior who's given us the power and the Holy Spirit who expects us to be witnesses until he returns. So our job right now is to continue the book of Acts. If we get to the end in chapter 28, where does it go from there? Where does it go from there in our lives, in the history of our church? Where does it go for other people to remember and understand? How would our church be thought about? How would we be thought about? Were we being faithful as disciples to honor the Holy Spirit's role in giving us the ability to be witnesses and to look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ? Those are the things that I think Luke is trying to tell Theophilus here. And the rest of the book of Acts is how God accomplished this. I'd like in the next couple of weeks to take a couple of selected passages out of the book of Acts and talk about exactly how God did that. But we have to realize that in our own lives, there are two promises. One, if we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he's given you the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not talking about some newfangled spiritual experience because I'm not, I'm, I don't believe the scriptures talk about that. I mean, yielding your heart to the Lord means yielding your heart to the role of the Holy Spirit to begin to teach you and help you grow and help you deepen how to mature you in your personal walk with Jesus, in the community of, of this church, how we walk together with Jesus, how we relate to the world to tell them about Jesus. The Holy Spirit has to be an integral leading part of that, not by our power, not by our, our numbers, but by the spirit, uh, God told Zechariah. By his spirit, he will grow the church. And that's exciting to be part of seeing what God is going to do in our hearts. But on the other hand, we also have this hope that we will see Jesus again. He's coming back. And we say, by the way, have you ever heard the word Maranatha before? Literally, that means, oh, Lord, come in the Aramaic language. It means, oh, Lord, come. And we're asking the Lord to come. But maybe we could say to him, Lord, will you tarry just long enough for us to witness, for us to share, for us to serve, for us to minister? Help our church to be faithful in doing that, not just gathering together and staring into heaven, but actually doing the ministry of witnessing and teaching and helping others to be disciples. That's what the purpose of the church is, should be and is all about. This morning, I pray that you might consider, if you don't know Jesus, to receive him as your Lord and Savior and to find out what that means of how we look into scriptures and say, this is what Jesus promised us, to ask him to save you and then to look forward to walking with him. If you know him as your Lord and Savior, but you've really tried to do things your way, how about asking God to help you do it the Holy Spirit's way, his way? seeking his will, being part of a faith community, Providence Baptist Church, to grow together and to be witnesses
not only to look forward to the coming of Jesus, but to allow the Holy Spirit to teach us how to grow in witness and be faithful witnesses for the whole world to know that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. We're going to have a uh, invitation special, Christ is mine forever. I'm going to ask the musicians if they'll come forward and I will be down here at the front. If you'd like to come and speak with me or I'll pray with you or whatever God may lead you to do, this is the invitation for you to respond. You come as we stand and sing. Let's stand together.